can go ahead and take your seats, and you can open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And while you're, you're getting ready and you're opening up your Bibles, uh, Phil had mentioned the church picnic on uh, May 7th. And if you have never been to one of our church picnics, I encourage you to come. And so we we provide food, and all you got to do is sort of show up and bring yourself. You can bring anybody you want, actually. And then we'll have a bunch of games and things like that. But every time I hear church picnic, I just think, you know, we do these competitions and we do these games, and it depends who's in charge of it and the stuff that they do. But for the last couple of years, we've been doing kickball events and it's been like youth versus parents and the parents always dominate the youth and it's bad like I mean you know kids struggle anyways with self-control but when mom and dad smoke them it's bad so then but for the last there's an update coming so Phil's been the referee for these things and there's been an appeal for the last two years and it has to do with his character his ability to actually officiate a fair kickball event. And so after two years, right, the appeal process, it wasn't just me making this appeal. Somebody else made the appeal. Another parent, Phil, has resigned from officially officiating the kickball event. And so it'll be another blowout. The parents will dominate. Yeah, there's always a chance. See, here's the problem with this. He's ultimately in charge of that. So he may veto whatever ends up happening and put himself back in. Anyways, all that to say, I want to encourage you um, to come out to this. This is one of those uh, events for us as a church. And I've been thinking about this lately. And this has, I guess, some things to do with the message. Um, the Lord has not called us to live life together. And I know you, you hear me say that a lot. And if you're, you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to be part of any church. Maybe you're visiting from another church. And we love that you're here. And Maybe you're visiting a friend, you're from out of town. I just want to encourage all of us um, just, to, just to give ourselves to one another and the things that God has called us to. Like Kylie was, was getting at at the end of her uh, short testimony there was just, and just encourage you to participate in these things. And I would add my voice to that because when you participate, whether it's a women's event, a men's event, a singles ministry, or whatever it might be, um, you, you get to know other people, and you get to benefit from community. And if you just look around, the Lord, the Lord has blessed us with other people. And we grow uh, by just being a part of one another's lives. And it's, sometimes it's really exciting, and sometimes it's hard. But we trust in a good God who's at work in all things, and he gives us these things, and he gives us one another. And so all that to say is, if you can, I would encourage you, come to the church picnic. Um, stick around, get to, get to know people that maybe you don't know very well. This, this is what the picnic provides for us is uh, an opportunity where we don't have to do anything else but just have fun together, eat together, uh, encourage one another, and spend some extended time maybe fellowshipping or joking around or whatever it is the Lord would want us to do as we gather. But there's going to be a lot of games and a lot of other things as well. But it's, it's a highlight for me, and I know for many in our church, just to be able to gather like that. So with that being said, uh, we're going to transition. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 
through 18. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Soften our hearts that we would receive this word. That we might grow in our love for you, our love for Christ, and our love for one another. And Lord, also our assurance that we indeed are children of yours. And so, Lord, would you accomplish your good purposes through our time together here this morning in this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as the story goes, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent a one-word telegraph message. Now, who knows what a telegraph message is? I was writing this down. Okay, yeah, okay. So it's just, if you, if you don't know what it is, just think text messaging. For really, really old people, it's sort of electronic Morse code, they'd kind of do this, and it would come across, and they'd decipher it, and it would be this. Anyways, that's what he did, okay? Founder of the Salvation Army sent a text message to his officers. It was only one word because you couldn't do a ton of words quickly and that type of thing. So just one word, and here's what the message read, others. And so he's gathering his officers, and he's, he's seeking to inspire them and to encourage them and to give them sort of a vision for what God has called them to do. And so he just sends this message, others. Well, here's how the story, this one-word message, impacted some of these officers. On May 29th, 1914, there was a ship called the Empress of Ireland, and it sank with 130 Salvation Army officers on board. 109 of those officers drowned. And not one body that was picked up had a life jacket on it. The few survivors told how once these officers found out that there were not enough life jackets for everyone on board, they took theirs off and they gave them to others. Even to very strong men, and this is what they were saying as they were handing out their life jackets. And people say, no, no, no. And they said, no, you take this. And they would say this, I can die better than you can. And to top it all off, it was said 
that from the deck of the sinking ship, these officers could be heard shouting their battle cry around the world. Others. Others. Just thinking of others who were in need. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we live in a world with other people. We, we don't live life alone. There are people all around us. There are people in this room. I know it's sort of stating the obvious. There are roughly about 250 people in our church. There are almost 300,000 people who live in Cherokee County. Almost 11 million people live in the state of Georgia with us. The United States has a population of over 331 million people, and there are almost 8 billion people worldwide. And so I know, again, stating the obvious, but it's impossible for us to live out our lives alone, dependent on no one else, and to never, ever interact with anyone else. It's impossible. And it's impossible because God has created us to live out our lives in community with others and to interact meaningfully with one another and the people all around us. See, what we're going to learn in our text this morning is that since God has called us to live with others and since he has loved us first, we must love others as he has loved us. See, we're we're called to not just sort of see others. We're called not just to sort of interact with others. We're, We're actually called to love others. We're called to intentionally interact with all the men and women, the people all around us, and to love them. So we're going to dig into this truth by taking a look at two points this morning from this text. In our first point, we learned that one, we should love others and hate no one. Well, again, this is it's pretty simple here. And again, John's writing this letter to give us assurance so that we know that God has indeed saved us and that we are indeed his children. And so we learn in this first point is that we're called to love people and not hate them. In verse 10, John told us that It is evident who are the children of God and who are children of the devil by telling us that the children of the devil do not practice righteousness. And so what he's saying throughout this section is you can look out at people, you should be able to look at your life and the way in which you either pursue righteousness or not will, will be some evidence that reveal if you're actually a child of God or not. If you're making a practice of sinning, he told us, then you're probably a child of the devil. But those who practice righteousness are most likely children of God because God has acted upon them by saving them and changing them. And then at the end of verse 10, he, he added on to that, not just those who practice righteousness, but, but those who actually love others. In verse 11 and following, John begins to explain to us now what, what, that, what that means or what this looks like for us to actually love others by writing the following. Look at verses 11 through 15. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and 
Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So children of God should live like children of the God. And that living like children of the God here looks like actually loving the people around us. It's not enough to have all the right answers about God and not actually live out our lives for the glory of God. We must believe the truth, and by the grace of God, we must live this truth out. Our actions will be the evidence to who we really are in regards to who our Heavenly Father really is, or if we've been genuinely saved or not. And right now, he's, he's zoning it in, and he's, he's drawing our attention to the way in which we interact with one another. And not just in this room, but the way in which we interact with the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people who live in our neighborhood, the people who we come across as we go to the grocery store, or the gas station, or wherever it is God allows for your feet to travel. He's, he's saying, when you encounter these people, we're called to love them. In the same way, God has loved us. And these actions will give evidence to who we really are. See, the message that we've heard from the beginning that John's drawing our attention to is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes with it this command to love others. And this gospel is good news. When you think gospel, think the good news about Jesus. And he's saying this message you've heard from the beginning, it's good news and you know this message. And the reason it's good news is because it's good news about Jesus. It's good news because God has so loved this world, God has so loved us that he gave up his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to save us. That's what makes it good news. God loved us. God sent his son into this world to die for us, to take our punishment so that we would be forgiven, declared righteous, brought into a right relationship with God given the hope of eternal life. It's good news because we can't save ourselves. See, the bad news is you can't save yourself. The bad news is you are a sinner who needs a Savior, and you're not it. And without a Savior, you're going to experience God's wrath, but it's good news because God has provided a Savior for us by loving us, sending His Son to die for us. And we weren't good people. As we read in Scripture, it says, it talks about us at the right time, Christ died for enemies. Instead of condemning us to hell, he saved us. And this is good news. This is the gospel. It's where we see God loving us. We see his love on full display. And it's this love that's meant to compel us to love one another. Hatred for others is the opposite of this love, and, and John wants us to see it. And so he illustrates it for us in this text by drawing our attention to Cain 
in the way in which he related to his brother Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers and sons of Adam and Eve. So you've got to go way back for the story to Genesis chapter 4. Cain was the older brother who worked the land, and Abel was the younger brother who took care of the sheep. And both of them one day brought sacrifices to God. The problem was Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted by God, but Abel's was. And this made Cain angry. Actually made him very angry. And then the Lord spoke these words to Cain. It said this, and this is Genesis 4, 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And as the story goes, Cain didn't do well. Cain didn't rule over his anger, and instead he gave into his anger, and he killed his brother Abel. And what John is saying here is don't, don't be like Cain. But that's not the way we treat our brothers and sisters. That's not the way we treat the people around us. Don't be like Cain, and he doesn't just say don't be like Cain, he says don't be like Cain because Cain is from the evil one. Cain wasn't a child of God who loved his brother. Instead, he was a child of the devil that acted like his father, the devil, by hating and murdering his brother. But why did he murder him? That's what John asked. John asked that question, if you look in the text, when he tells us why. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain was an evil man and did evil things. He did these evil things because that's who he was. He didn't love his brother, but instead he hated him and he violently murdered him. And in verse 13, John helps us to interpret this illustration in relationship to the world we live in. So he's kind of help us here. He's to say, okay, there's, there's, there's those who pursue righteousness and there's those who pursue unrighteousness. Cain, being a son of the devil, he pursued unrighteousness and he didn't love his brother. He murdered his brother. And so in verse 13, John then sort of steps back and he's, he's saying, now, now I want you to see something. He said, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised, brothers, if you find people out there who are like Cain, who aren't pursuing righteousness, but who are of the devil. And instead of loving people, they, they find themselves hating people. The world here that he's talking about is everything and everyone in it that does not recognize and worship God for who he truly is. It's everything and everyone in this world that is opposed to God and his ways. Earlier, he talked about do not love the world or anything in the world. That, that's what he's, he's, he's going after in the same way here. Don't be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised, brother or sister, when the world, meaning everything that's opposed to God and his ways, doesn't like you, doesn't celebrate you acts like Cain towards you. Because this world, in many ways, is opposed to God. 
and it's evil. With this being said, none of us should be surprised that this evil, unbelieving world around us will hate us as we seek to pick up a cross and follow Jesus, as we seek to genuinely love one another and the people around us, because it's not capable of loving us, because it doesn't recognize and worship God. God is not its father, therefore all it can do is maybe be indifferent at best, but but not really celebrate or love us. Don't think for a minute that you can live out your faith in Jesus in this world and be fully accepted by it. It'll just never happen. As long as we live in a world, and what I'm talking about is as long as there's people around us who do not recognize God, love God, and seek to honor God, and you try to love God, recognize God, and honor God, there's just going to be this clash. And you're not going to be accepted by the world. Martin Niemöller, he was a uh, German theologian around World War II time. And at one point, he was also a Lutheran pastor, but at one point he was sort of a Nazi sympathizer, and there's, there's more to his story. And, and as, as Hitler started to sort of get closer to him, and he began to see what Hitler was actually doing, he began to oppose Hitler. And he spent about eight years in a Nazi prison for doing this. And here's what he had to say about the world and our faith. He said, the fellowship of Jesus has no promise that it will ever be in the majority. We must indeed guard against thinking that there can ever be any kind of human security or assurance against the world's hatred. All the parleys, all truces, all peace treaties are unreal. For the world must hate the Christian fellowship. And because of the fellowship, so long as it is Christian fellowship, cannot hate. It must suffer at the hands of the world. The motto of the community of Jesus is this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. It is indeed a conquered world which seeks to terrify us. It is indeed a condemned and dying hatred which attacks us. And so he's he's drawing this conclusion. The world may hate us, but God has not called us to hate them. Called to love them. I think that takes some wisdom a lot when we're interacting with the world around us. But, but don't be surprised. That's what John wants us to know. Don't be surprised if the world hates you or when the world hates you. But may we not hate them back. Verse 14, he goes on and he says this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. It's pretty serious when he says stuff like that. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, when you read something like that, how important do you think it is that we genuinely love one another 
and the people that live around us, that we interact with on a daily basis. Pretty significant. Because those who don't love, he goes on and he just says, abides in death. And what he's getting at there is meaning he's just saying, maybe not saved. Maybe still has a dead heart. Maybe hasn't been genuinely made alive through faith in Jesus Christ because those who have been made alive through faith in Christ will love people and not hate them or murder them as Cain has done. Notice how John tied hating someone and murdering someone together here as equally evil. He's saying, this is what Cain did. Cain didn't love his brother. He, he murdered his brother. And then, and then John sort of ties this, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. He does this because this is what Jesus taught. Matthew 5.21 says this, You have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Cain's murder started with him being angry and hating Abel in his heart. Hatred is an intense emotional feeling, the desire to get rid of someone. Who, who hasn't ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hand. I, I, I feel it. There's, just, there's certain things in this world I hate. We know that feeling. It's this intense desire to, to not like this thing. But what he's saying here is an intense desire to get rid of it. And what Cain did to get rid of what he hated, meaning his brother, see, he murdered his brother. And so this murder starts with something going on in our hearts, and it's called hatred. And it's a sin. It's a sin that begins here, and then it begins to look like something. Sometimes we call it frustration. Sometimes it looks like yelling. Sometimes it looks like a rash word. Sometimes this hatred that sits in our heart, it can be very intense and it can look intense. And sometimes it can just be really cold, can it? It can be really quiet. It can look a lot like ignoring someone. Not looking them in the eyes. It can look like heading in the opposite direction when you see them at church or in your house or whatever it is you may interact with them. It could be in your neighborhood where you maybe hate a neighbor because they may have did something to you. And so when you see them, you kind of go the opposite direction. You peer out the window and instead of going outside, you wait till they pull in. It doesn't always look like killing someone. Sometimes it looks a lot like ignoring someone because you don't go to jail for ignoring people. But what Jesus is trying to help us see and what John is trying to help us see is this, this hatred is a sin. Because it shows up and it's the opposite of what God has called us to. He's called us to love people. As children of God who've been loved by God, we're called to love people. And sometimes this love is meant to be radical. Open up your Bibles to Luke 6 for a second. And if you've been around in our church for a while, you know, any chance I get, I'm going I'm to take you to Luke 6 when we're talking about love. So this section is, is loving an enemy. So Luke 6, 27 through 35. Luke writes the following, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. 
That's what he said. He said, love your enemies. This will challenge us. It's sort of like you're just looking in the mirror and the Lord is just saying, okay, this is what I'm calling you to do. And he takes us to the radical side of this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. And so you just think to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to love my enemy? When somebody punches me on this side, I'm supposed to turn the cheek and they're supposed to hit this side? And, and if somebody was to steal my sweatshirt, I'm supposed to actually give them my undershirt as well? So if you notice here, there's just a lot of death to self in the way we're called to interact with others. There's this call to just give and give and give. And when you think about it, what do you want me to do to the person who abuses me? Oh, so he says, pray for him or her. It's extreme. It seems extreme and radical. But what God's doing here is saying, this is what love looks like. It looks like dying to self every day. It looks like a willingness to sacrifice for the good of others, to trust the Lord. For the outcome. Because we all have enemies. Might be a capital E enemy. It might be a little E enemy. Sometimes they live in our home. But this is the way he's, he's called for us to treat people. And so I pause because I, I want you to see this. This is really important here. At the end of this section. Why in the world would we ever treat people this way? Why would we ever want to be taken advantage of like this for the sake of loving an enemy? Well, look at me at the end of verse 35, 36. For, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Who, who's kind? The Father, God, God's kind. To who's, he un, who's he kind to? The ungrateful and evil. Who, who do you think he's talking about? Us. How was he kind to the ungrateful and evil? Because we were his enemies. Christ died for enemies. He died for us. And instead of punishing us for our sins, he died. His body was broken. His blood was poured out so that we would be forever forgiven and accepted by God. That's why we look at the cross and we go back to the cross and, and we're called to love people. In a similar way in which God has loved us. 
See, if we just love the world like the world loves its own, what, what does that say about us? That's why he's going after this in Luke 6. He said, this is what the world does. The world loves their own in this way. But we've been taken out of this world. We've been saved to something so much greater than this world. And we've been called to love in such a way that this world really doesn't understand and will never understand unless they come to know Christ as their Savior. So let me ask you this question before we move into our second point. Do you have a genuine love for others? Do you you genuinely love the people around you? And it takes wisdom in the way in which we treat people around us. But but would you say it's loving? Do you take joy in serving people who maybe you don't like so much? Laying your life down for them. Since God has loved us first, we must love others as he has loved us. In our second and final point, we learn that our love for others should be demonstrated through our actions towards others. So real love is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's more of an action than it is a word or a feeling. In verse 16, John tells us what love is by directing our attention to Jesus and what he did for us. Verse 16 says this, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so Jesus is the opposite of Cain here. Cain hated his brother, and instead of dying for his brother, he killed his brother. But what Jesus did is Jesus laid his life down for us. This is love. It's sacrificial. And we know this love because we're the recipients of it. We just don't see it. We experience it. This love transforms our hearts. The only way we're ever going to love an enemy is if Christ really abides in us, dwells in us, his spirit at work in us. And so we know this love. Therefore, this love compels us to sacrifice, to lay down our lives for those who are around us. Daniel Atkin, in his commentary, wrote the following. He says, love at its core is about self-sacrifice and self-substitution. And in our case, it is for those who are completely and totally unworthy. This is a thought I've had as I think about the way in which we're called to treat others is, I know it's come up in a number of conversations lately, but I, I think this is something John's drawn our attention to as he's trying to help us have a genuine assurance of our salvation. I would say, it's the way in which we treat others. And it's not just the way in which you treat the people you like and feel most comfortable around. It's the way in which you treat people that maybe make you the most uncomfortable. Or people who don't have the same interest as you. Don't run in the same circles. The way we treat those people, I think, is revealing in many ways of where our hearts are at. Or in sometimes the level of our maturity of our faith. Because we're called to love our brothers. And obviously you can't interact with everybody the same way, even in a church this size. But, but the question we come back to is, is, do we love people? 
Do we love people maybe that, that, that we would think are unworthy or are maybe just different than us? Jesus himself said it this way. He said, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. What he's getting at there is, is love is it's just costly. It's a death to self. And sometimes it may very well cost us our lives, but I would say most of the time, it's just going to cost us our comforts and resources. Verse 17 and 18 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So again, he's he's just pointing out, love looks like something. It's, it's more than just saying, I love you. Hope you have a great day. It's expressed through many little sacrifices over time. Because love is more than just a word. It's costly. It's sacrificial. James 2.14, James writes the following. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith that doesn't have works is dead. And I'd also say, love that doesn't work is dead. That's what John's getting at here. Love love should look like something. It's more than just a word. It's a laying down of our lives. It's more than a letter or a poem. True love is willing to give to those in need. True love is willing to forgive those who need forgiveness. True love is spending time with someone who needs a friend. True love is helping others who need help. See, true love, it's willing to just lay down our lives and our desires for the good of those around us because it's sacrificial. So when you think about true love, what you should be thinking about, it, it looks a whole lot like serving. It looks like Jesus dying on a cross for our sins. It looks like people giving up their life jackets to save the life of another. It looks like a dad going to work to provide for his family. It looks like a wife taking care of her kids. It looks like a child cleaning up after himself so that others don't have to do it for them. It looks like somebody turning the lights on in this place and setting up the sound system or running the video in the back. It looks like someone giving someone else money because they need help financially. It looks like including other people in your friend group. It looks a whole lot like a death to self. And that's what God has called us to. Because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And that's good news. So church, let us love one another as God has loved us. Let's pray.